You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to talk to the great Rob Stats Guerrera of the SB Nation 49ers site, Niners Nation. You also hear him all the time, every week on the SB Nation NFL Show podcast. So we're going to talk to him about this week's upcoming game between the Birds and the 49ers, a game that's a lot more intriguing after what the Eagles did in Week 1 against the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, we'll talk about these two teams that both uh, were not very good last year, but... I knew the 49ers, I, again, my Super Bowl pick for this year is the 49ers against the Titans, and I have the 49ers actually winning the Super Bowl this year in my preseason prediction. So I, I feel like this 49ers team is a really good team, and we're going to talk to Rob about it, although they are suffering from some injuries. So we'll get the lowdown from him on the injuries going on on the San Francisco front, talk about some key matchups, and we'll do all that coming up here in the next few minutes on Eye on the Enemy. Plus, I will rank Nick Sirianni's opening week win against some previous Eagles head coach first ever games uh some pretty brutal ones along the way and some memorable first game uh for first games for nfl for eagles uh, coaches in their nfl coaching debut so we'll get into all that coming up here on eye on the enemy and joining me to help break down this weekend's game between the eagles and the niners is the great rob stats guerrera nfl podcast host for sb nation nfl and niners nation you hear him on the sb nation nfl show it's, it's a great show you all have it you all listen to it in your apple on your apple podcast or your spotify or wherever it is you get your podcast and uh, of course you probably already follow rob on twitter if you don't he is at Stats on Fire. We're going to talk about this Eagles-Niners game coming up here on Sunday. Rob, welcome to Eye on the Enemy, man. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you, and I, I'm a big fan of yours because I, I love the I love the uh, SB Nation NFL show. I think you guys do an amazing job covering the league. Uh, lots of good Eagles talking there most of the time, too, because for whatever reason, it seems as though the Philadelphia Eagles are generally speaking at the center of attention. Like, even last year, when they went 4-11-1, I can't remember the last time a team as bad as the Eagles were got as much run nationally as they did last year. Was it was it bizarre to be talking about a team that really wasn't any good at all as much as you did last year? Well, there are different kinds of bad teams, right? There are bad teams that are just boring, like the <laughs> Bengals, who are just bad, and the Jaguars <laughs> seemingly are bad and boring every year. And then there are teams that are bad and interesting, like a lot of the times the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, They're usually pretty bad, but they're interesting. And that's what I said to BLG on the show the other day. I said, look, I don't know how good the Eagles are ultimately going to be, but they're not going to be boring. There's so much going on with yeah. them. Jalen Hurts, at quarterback, with the young wide receivers, your new head coach. Like, There's mm -hmm. a ton to talk about with Philly. 
Yeah, there really is. And a lot of storylines and a lot of question marks as, as we came into the season. Um, and, and we'll talk about the birds here in a minute, but I do want to focus on the 49ers to, to start things off. And uh, obviously you guys are coming off a very interesting win over the Detroit lions last week. Uh, you guys raced out to a big lead and then had to hang on for dear life towards the end of the game and, and managed to just scrape by. And so your general thoughts about, about last week, just how the game flow went, because it did feel like you guys had that game in hand and, and kind of allowed Detroit, a, a lesser opponent, to get back into it. How much did that sour the taste of your week one victory at all? It was the weirdest game situation I can remember in a long time. I will say the further I've gotten away from it, the better I felt about it. If you talked to me on Sunday, I would have, I was reacting like it was a loss. That game was 41 to 17 at the two minute warning. And in the final 30 seconds, I was sweating it out. Like, Oh my God, are the lions going to tie this thing up? It was incredible for most of the day. The 49ers had things well in hand and then just an odd sequence of events. They got a garbage time touchdown. The onside kick went off George Kittle's face and the <laughs> Lions got it back and scored again. It's and then right. the 49ers get the ball back. They ice the game on third down. They convert. They get the first down, but Debo Samuel fumbles the ball and the Lions get it back. It was like everything that could have gone wrong for the 49ers did, at least until that last possession when they finally made the stop. Yeah. So, I mean, there, I mean, I, it sound it's pretty fluky. I mean, I, I think the general, my general takeaway uh, from the 49ers game on Sunday and just, for, just from the bits of it that I watched was that they really had that game in control and coming into the season, I, the 49ers are my Super Bowl champion pick just so, wow. so, so you are aware. I, as I, as I put this, as I put the season together, I'm a huge Kyle Shanahan guy. And I, I, I think I'm just amazed at the way he's always able to get guys in space, how, how he's able to, in this day and age, when the passing game is so important that he's able to, to use the running backs the way he does and, and figure out a way to get guys in, in, into holes and use the middle of the field. Where do you, is he the best head coach in the NFL? Do you think? And if not, where, where do you have him ranked? Because he's, he's, he's gotta be near the, the very tippy top. It's sort of a weird thing with him because if you just look at his flat record, he's had 10 lost seasons in three of his four full years with the 49ers. So his record does not stack up to a lot of coaches in the league, but I said many times that there is no one else. I would want coaching this team. When you, when you combine age, with the fact that he is an offensive coach, because you know how it is nowadays. If your head coach is not an offensive guy, you yeah. got to have a great offensive coordinator. But the problem is they're going to get another job in a couple yeah. of years, and then you're going to have to start all over. Right. So when you combine all those factors, I have always said that there is no other coach I would want coaching this team than Kyle Shanahan. I really do think he's an incredible offensive mind. I, I see it. I see it every week how these defenders do not know what, what to do. It's incredible. <laughs> He makes them look silly, which is not easy to do when you're talking about professionals. So, so where do you have the 49ers ranked right now in your power rankings as we head into week two? I mean, there's not a whole lot of tape to go on, but just looking at rosters, looking at where the rest of the NFL shakes out right now. I have them in the top 10. I would probably say 10, nine or 10 is where I would have them. Uh, and I, I try not to be a homer with these things, but I look at the strength of their roster and the only thing it comes down to, and it seems like it's come down to it for the past four years, is injuries. Mm -hmm. And the 49ers are already feeling that. Going into week two, they're probably going to be down both starting cornerbacks, a starting linebacker, and their starting running back are all probably not going to play on Sunday. So that roster, you know, 
pieces are getting chipped off of that roster. But when I look at it, I still think it's one of the deeper rosters in the league. So I have them at nine or 10. Well, let, let's talk about the 49ers defense to, to start off, because like you mentioned, they, they do have a lot of injuries that they're dealing with. And secondary depth in the NFL is always a challenge for, for every NFL team. And I think it's going to be I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I still don't know as, as far as the Eagles wide receivers exactly what we have, because I think Devontae Smith is going to be a really good player. I, mean, I think he's shown that he can get a lot of separation. Uh, he, he's explosive with the ball. But again, he's just, he just has one game under his belt. And then you've got Jalen Rager last year's first round pick who really did not perform well at all last year. Uh, had a nice uh, touchdown uh, on a short pass that he just outran the defenders, got some great blocking, but, you know, not exactly sure what we have there. Quez Watkins was involved in the game early last year and then kind of fell off. They got the tight ends involved a little bit. It was kind of an interesting game with the Eagles uh, offensively because it was very efficient, but they didn't really push the ball down the field. And so all the receivers, they had some decent numbers, but nobody really broke out. So, What's your con- level of concern or what is your take on, on where the Eagles receivers are? A lot of young guys, a lot of youth there, a lot of unproven youth. Yes. Um, are you talking more specifically in this game or with the Eagles receivers in general? I guess specifically this game because you're, you're without your, your two cornerbacks, how you guys are going to match up with those three guys. So that's where my big worry is because I could see Devontae Smith just having a monster game, especially if Emmanuel Mosley can't go. He's their number two cornerback, but he's really been banged up. He hasn't even really been practicing, so I really don't think he's going to play. If he can't go, then you're looking at Josh Norman, the ghost of Josh Norman out there on the edge. Like That's a matchup (laughs) that terrifies me as a 49ers fan. So I really think that he's going to be able to have a big day. What... I wonder is how the Eagles are going to deploy him because if they try, I think there will be deep opportunities because I know he can run past Josh Norman. (laughs) The problem is the 49ers do have a good pass rush. So if Mm. Jalen hurts can extend the play a little bit, I think he's going to have chances to make big chunk plays down the field and really gash the 49ers because they, they just don't have the corners right now. And I think you're talking about, you know, that, that defensive front from the 49ers. I think one of the strengths of the Eagles is their offensive line. And we saw last week, uh, Jordan Mailata, the guy just got the big money extension, really played well. Jason Kelsey, I don't know how he's still doing it at this stage of his career, but he, <laughs> he, he's, he is still as athletic as ever and, and really doing amazing things out there. So, you know, I guess, you know, as you look at this, as you look at this Eagles offensive line going up against a, a San Francisco defensive line, who has the edge there? Well, that's a good question. To me, I have to put it on the 49ers. And I know that's, you know, coming from me, the Niners guy. But I just look at it. When you have Nick Bosa, who looks to be back to the Nick Bosa that we saw his rookie year. I mean, Trent Williams before the season said that Nick Bosa is better than he was his rookie year, which Mm. is crazy. But he certainly seems to be at least as good as he used to be. That unlocks everything for the rest of this defensive line because then you have D Ford coming off the other side with his incredible get off and speed rush. And it also allows Eric Armstead to move to the middle of the defensive line, which is really where he's most effective as a pass rusher. And when you have Bosa, Armstead and Ford coming from three different spots on the defensive line where the Niners are already very, very deep anyway, I just feel like that's an advantage against anybody in the league. And I, they have to win there because that is how their entire defense is set up. If they don't get pressure with their front four, they're going to be in trouble. Well, and how will they do against a mobile quarterback? Because we saw with Jalen Hurts last week, some of his most dangerous moments were when he was pressured and uh, was making things happen outside the pocket. A couple of times he forced pressure on himself by doing that, leaving the pocket too early. 
we just kind of know that's baked into the cake with him right now as a young quarterback. But to have a guy who's going to be able to escape the pass rush some, do the 49ers put a spy on him? Or do they have a guy who's going to be keeping an eye on him as far as running the ball goes? Or do they just depend on their front four to kind of keep things in check? So that's the big thing I want to see in this game, because if you had asked me this last year, I would have told you that Robert Sala is terrible at defending mobile quarterbacks. They always gash the 49ers, which of course was doubly painful because we're in a division with Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. Uh, Now with D'Amico Ryan's at defensive coordinator, I don't know because this is only his second game on the job. So I'm interested to see if he does some different things. I mean, the 49ers do have some athletes. Fred Warner at middle linebacker is an incredible athlete. So if they wanted to spy Jalen Hurts with him, they could. I don't know how they're going to do it exactly, but I think that's going to be a huge part of the game because, like I said earlier, if he can get out there and extend plays, there's going to be opportunities to make big plays, particularly because Bosa and Ford, like I said, are so fast when they get up the field that it creates running lanes for the quarterback. Yeah, and I guess... Um, as you're looking at this team, you know, the Eagles have the wide receivers. They also have got uh, Zach Ertz and, and Dallas Goddard at tight end. And, you know, I think one of the guys who really surprised with his production on, on Sunday is Kenny Gainwell, the rookie guy, the rookie third round pick, um, played a lot more than I thought he was going to, especially in the, under two minutes. Uh, he was part of the two minute warning package. And, uh, you know, I feel, you know, you've got Miles Sanders, you got those, you've got those guys, you know, it's. I know the 49ers defense is kind of built to stop a lot of these, a lot of these types of guys, but you know, are Eagles fans overrating their weapons? I mean, I coming into the season, I think we were not exactly optimistic about our chances, but after one week and it's the Falcons for sure, totally get it. But feels, I I feel like I'm starting in my heart to overrate our weapons a little bit. So I'm kind of curious how, how you look at them. I mean, I don't, they're not the greatest weapons in the league, but they're certainly a hell of a lot scarier than Detroit. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I mean, coming into the game against Detroit, the only thing I was worried about was TJ Hawkinson. And actually I thought D'Amico Ryans did a terrible job defending him because he still had nine catches, I think, and and a touchdown. So I'm actually interested to see that too. Does D'Amico play Dallas Goddard any differently than he played TJ Hawkinson? But I think Devontae Smith, Goddard, Ertz, like you said, Miles Sanders is a good player. Like the Eagles have legitimate weapons at the skill positions and certainly enough to threaten any offense or any defense in the league. All right, let's flip it over here and let's uh, let's talk about the 49ers offense against the uh, against 40. I'm sorry about the um, yeah, the 49ers offense against the Eagles defense here and a lot of interesting things going on with the quarterback situation out there in San Francisco. I, I think I had predicted that by midseason, I thought I thought uh, Trey Lance would be your starting quarterback. Jimmy G seemed to play pretty well against the Detroit Lions in in, in week number one. Although Trey did get in there and got a touchdown. Is does Jimmy G? What, how, how much rope does Jimmy G have? I guess is is the main question because you don't draft a quarterback in the first round and expect him to sit forever, and you don't trade three first round picks to get that guy right. and expect him to sit forever. Right now, the biggest contribution Trey Lance has made to the 49ers is running the Eagles plays for the scout team this week. That seems to be all the rage anyone wants to talk about in San Francisco. (laughs) It's frustrating to me. Full disclosure, I thought that they should have started whoever they drafted right out of the gate. When you make the kind of statement the 49ers made by moving up to number three in the draft to get a quarterback, you are telling the world that the guy you have is clearly not good enough. So to me, they should have started the rookie. But I will agree with you. I thought Jimmy Garoppolo played one of his best games ever as a 49er in week one. He was accurate with the ball for most of the game. He actually did use his legs to move around and avoid some pass rushers and make some big plays. He, he had a, pretty much about as good a game as I have seen from him. 
I don't know if he'll be able to have that this week because I think the Eagles are going to get way more pressure than the Lions did. And last year when they played, the Eagles, I think, had 15 quarterback hits. Now, Jimmy didn't play in that game because he was hurt. But, I mean, the offensive line was basically the same. A lot of the same players for the Eagles as well. So I'm interested to see how Jimmy responds if he actually faces a little adversity back there because that's been one of my biggest criticisms of him is that he wilts basically whenever he faces pressure. So the protection is going to be a big indicator of of what happens with Jimmy. And I am interested to see if he is struggling, say, by halftime, what does Kyle Shanahan do? Does he opt to go for the more mobile guy in Trey Lance? We don't know yet how fluid he's going to be with that situation because, like we said, they really didn't face any adversity last week. Right. And we're kind of in the same boat with our defensive coordinator. Obviously, Jonathan Gannon um, has uh, his first year on the job, just like uh, D'Amico Ryan's with, with you guys. And, you know, the Atlanta offense looked pretty good the first two drives. They, they kept him out of the end zone. Uh, but that game's a whole lot different if Atlanta scores a couple of touchdowns as opposed to a couple of field goals in that game. And so, you know, I, you're hoping the Eagles defense, I'm hoping the Eagles defense gets off to a little bit better of a, of a better start here in the game on Sunday. But then they really tighten things up. And you saw the defensive the defensive line start to come in waves as the game went along. So has, has San Francisco's offensive line improved at all from last year? Because I know the Eagles defensive front, that is still the strength of the defense. The rest of it, the linebackers, the secondary, a lot of question marks still there. Well, the big change the Niners made is at center. Now they have Alex Mack, who's like Kyle Shanahan's yeah. favorite center in the whole world. He <laughs> seems to, Falcon. Yeah. yeah, he seems to get him wherever he goes. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Alex Mack is, you know, he's clearly not what he once was, but he's a big improvement for the 49ers. Plus he's a veteran guy there. There's a lot of responsibility that the center has in Kyle Shanahan's offense in terms of calling out protections and things like that. So having a veteran guy there has helped. But other than that, it's basically the same offensive line as it was last year. And when they played the Eagles, they pretty much had one of their worst games of the season. Even Trent Williams, who was a dominant player for San Francisco, his worst game of the year was against Philadelphia. And Mike McGlinchey over there at right tackle is a rusty gate. Like anytime you need to get at Jimmy Garoppolo, just put your best pass rusher over Mike McGlinchey and you will get there. He, he, he cannot stop it. It is unbelievable. He's a massive liability. And the 49ers do not have a real veteran running back on the roster right now because Raheem Mostert is hurt. In pass protection, that's going to be a big issue. They had Jamichael Hasty back there and Elijah Mitchell back there last week, and they were whiffing on pass rushers <laughs> left, right, and center. That's going to be a big factor in terms of what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's something that might not come to people's mind right away, but I know the 49ers are aware of it. Yeah, that's uh, I think the Eagles have had that problem in in seasons before this uh, this last one. A lot of issues with running backs uh, picking not picking up blitzers. I, I did want to talk about Elijah Mitchell. I got offered a trade in fantasy this week. Somebody offered me Elijah Mitchell for Miles Sanders, and I thought about it for a second. And I said no, no, because I like the numbers: nineteen carries, one hundred and four yards last week. And I know Kyle Shanahan finds a way to get his running backs their numbers and get in the end zone, but. You know, I, you're talking about they need to bring in another uh, a veteran running back to kind of back back things up there. How good is Elijah Mitchell? Because we don't know anything about him. I think Elijah Mitchell is very good. You know, it's hard to trust guys 40 times because this was the COVID year. So they were kind of making up their own 40 year dash time. Supposedly he ran a four, three, two. That seems, uh, I don't think he looks that fast to my eye, but even <laughs> okay. if he ran a four, four flat, you know, that's still pretty darn fast. Yeah. Um, he can actually break some arm tackles a little bit. I think he's a, I think he's a perfect fit in this system for what Kyle wants to run. 
But with Shanahan, I mean, he always rotates all of his backs. They spent a third round pick this year on Trey Sermon, who was a healthy scratch last week. Uh, I think he's obviously going to get more run this week now that Mostert is out for the year. But uh, I think you're going to see a healthy dose of both of those guys on Sunday. I also was blown away. I mean, Debo Samuel, Debo was amazing last week. Uh, and is he emerging as as the true number one for you guys right now? Huh. Well, now you've just touched on the controversy of the week for the 49ers <laughs> because we all thought going into the season that Brandon Ayuk was going to be clearly the number one guy and Debo was going to be the, you know, the number two. And then all of a sudden, D, uh, Ayuk is not starting on against the Lions. Trent Sherfield is starting opposite Debo Samuel. And Debo got, you know, the most of the targets and had 189 yards, I think, on nine catches and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Everyone's been asking Kyle Shanahan, what, what happened? Are you mad at Brandon Ayuk? Is he in the doghouse? And Shanahan keeps speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He keeps saying, well, Ayuk had a hamstring and he had a little setback. But then he also sent Ayuk back to return the first punt of the game, which doesn't make any sense because if yeah. a guy's battling a hamstring, you don't give him extra work. Right. So, and Kyle's been known to be prickly, especially with wide receivers. So I think there's a little bit of something going on there with Brandon Ayuk, but Debo Samuel is definitely emerging. I thought Darius Slay had the perfect description of him, which is basically Anquan Bolden with speed, mm-hmm. which is exactly right. Uh, Debo is a guy in the past that had been used mostly kind of with reverses in the backfield and drop passes and things like that. But last week against the Lions, he had five targets of 10 or more yards down the field. So I think they're kind of realizing themselves here that they may have something. And Debo really is emerging. Well, and, and if you get a guy like that, if, if Debo can actually become that guy, it makes Jimmy Garoppolo's job a lot easier. It might be harder to knock Jimmy Garoppolo out as a starting quarterback if you give him yet another weapon to go along with George Kittle, too, who if I'm if I'm an Eagles, if I'm an Eagles fan, that's the guy I'm most worried about this weekend, because you, you have Darius Slay, who who will go up against Debo. And, and you know, Darius Slay is not immune to getting picked on a little bit from time to time, but he's pretty good. He's a pretty good cornerback. But the Eagles have very little at safety and at uh, at, at linebacker, at least established players in those spots to handle a guy like George Kittle. And the, to me, that's the matchup to watch because they did a pretty good job against Kyle Pitts last week. But there you're talking about a guy making his first ever NFL start. George Kittle has more than one NFL start under his belt. And so that's my big worry. Yeah. And, and Kittle and Garoppolo obviously have a, a good chemistry and a good rapport and Kittle is so valuable to this 49ers offense because I feel like the blocking with him actually helps him in the passing game because there are so many plays where he'll block for one or two seconds and then just scrape off of it and be wide open over the middle of the field. And Kyle will run some sort of play action or bootleg that will, you know, free up Jimmy and he'll just hit Kittle and he'll have all this space to run. And that's really where Kittle excelled. He's not the greatest route runner in the world. But my God, he is a demon after the catch. He actually <laughs> punched a guy on the Lions. It wasn't a stiff arm. It was a punch last week. And, that you know, ran for 10 more me, yards. Rob. That seems illegal to me. I don't know how you can do that. Hey, when George Kittle does it, it's not <laughs> illegal. OK, uh, but he's an absolute weapon. And you're right to be afraid because I think Kyle's going to see the same thing you see. And he's going to find a way to get him the ball. All right. Well, last thing here before we wrap up, uh, I'd love to get a prediction from you for Sunday afternoon. If you feel like giving one, if you want to give me a score, great, but otherwise just your feel about how the game's going to go. Well, my predictions are not worth much, but I'm happy to give them out to anyone who's interested. I think it's going to be a very close game. Honestly, I could easily see the Eagles winning it, but I think the difference for me is I think that the 49ers offense is actually going to be the strength of their team this year. And so I, I don't know how many times Philly is going to be able to stop them, 
I think if the Niners had any competent quarterback last year when the Eagles won, that the San Francisco would have won that game. As long as Jimmy Garoppolo stays in there, I think the 49ers are going to be able to put up between 28 and 30 points. And I think the defense will be able to do just enough, even though I predict a big game for Hurts. I'm going to say something in the area of 31-24, probably. It sounds like a very interesting game between two teams that are that are, I think, looking a whole lot better than they were last year. And most likely it's because they're, they they will get competent quarterback play, you know, whether on the 49ers side, whether it's uh, Garoppolo or Trey Lance, but certainly better than Nick Mullins. Uh, and uh, you know, how he, could it not be? Could... <laughs> He's a trash bag at quarterback. I'm sorry. I'm so happy that I don't have to see Nick Mullins anymore. He's not any good you know you saw him exactly we we couldn't wait to get rid of him as our as our third stringer in, in this offseason so uh yeah totally I, I i hear what you're saying and that was a rough year uh last year no doubt but listen make sure you're checking out everything rob stats guerrera is doing over at niners nation follow the niners nation twitter at niners nation uh follow him on twitter at stats on fire and make sure to check out the sb nation nfl show uh every day of the week they've got great nfl content for you and it has ramped up big time here as we are now entering week two of the nfl season rob thanks for coming on eye on the enemy i appreciate it bud anytime john well up next i'm gonna rank nick sirianni's opening week win and compare it to other eagles head coaches and their first games with the birds we'll do that coming up next here on eye on the enemy vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, Trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Atlassian.
And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So last week, Nick Sirianni made his debut as Eagles head coach, and it is hard to imagine a way in which his debut could have gone better. The Eagles came out, and they looked polished. They looked professional. They looked put together. Everybody on the team seemed to know what their job was and how to do it. There was an energy. The offensive line played great. The play calling was outstanding. And I know they were playing an Atlanta Falcons team, which may be a lot worse than we were per- than we were previously thinking. But they looked like a competent, well-run NFL football team. And I must be honest with you, I was not expecting that in Nick Sirianni's first game. I did expect this team to start off the season slowly because I thought, you know, Nick Sirianni, first-year NFL head coach, first year getting first time getting acclimated to uh, what it's like to be a head coach at the NFL level. I thought this team would start off slow. I thought the Jalen Hurts and the wide receivers would start off a little bit slow. They didn't play it all together in the preseason. Well, again, it's just one week, but it's hard to imagine the Nick Sirianni era, start, era starting off any better than it did last week against the Atlanta Falcons. But it made me wonder, where does it rank among all Eagles head coaching debuts? Since Dick Vermeil's first game with the Philadelphia Eagles, the, the Birds have had nine head coaches. And so I ranked Nick Sirianni's debut last week with the other nine Eagles head coaches. And we'll start this list here from bottom to top. So we'll start off with the worst debut in Eagles head coaching, uh, recent head coaching history. And it's not because Richie Kotai did anything bad in his 1991 season opener against the Packers. In fact, the Eagles won 20 to 3. So it's weird, right, that I'm starting this list off the worst opening week for any Eagles head coach with a victory, but it, the score doesn't really matter because this is the game where Randall Cunningham had his knee blown out by Bryce Pop of the Green Bay Packers. I mean, the Eagles are coming into the to the 1991 season after after having lost in the first round of the playoffs three straight seasons. Buddy Ryan is not retained as head coach. His offensive coordinator, Rich Kotite, gets the gig. He comes in, and Bud Carson is there to coordinate the defense, and the defense is still loaded with pro bowlers and all pros all over the place. This felt like a team that was destined for the Super Bowl. Randall Cunningham was still playing at an elite level they had talent on the offensive side of the ball and with buddy ryan gone the thought was well you know maybe now they'll be able to get over the hump and it just it was never allowed to happen because uh in the second quarter of that ball game uh bryce pop drives right into randall cunningham's knee bending it backwards and randall cunningham is lost for the season with a torn acl the eagles do end up going 10 and 6 that year but uh, jim mcmahon the backup quarterback played well when he was in there but he couldn't stay healthy because he was falling apart from a a long career of injuries and concussions and, and one thing happening after another and so they had guys like jack kemp I think was a quarterback, uh, Brad Gable for a little while. There were some really Ken, uh, Ken O'Brien, I think was the quarterback for a couple of games that season. So it was, it was a bad mix at quarterback there. And the Eagles amazingly went 10 and six, thanks to one of the greatest defensive seasons in NFL history. If Randall Cunningham had been healthy playing with that defense, they're going to the Super Bowl that year. I, I don't care how good Washington was. I know Washington went 14 and two. And they, they romped over the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. I, I think the Eagles could have given them a run for their money. That, that team was absolutely loaded for bear, but without competent quarterback play, they couldn't get the job done. So that, in my memory anyway, was the worst Eagles head coaching debut. And it had nothing to do with anything Rich Kotite did or didn't do. It had everything to do with bad luck. Number eight, the second worst 1995, Ray Rhodes, Buccaneers 21, Eagle 6. This, of course, is the Ricky Waters for who 
for what game? You'll remember in this game, in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, twice Ricky Waters short arms, alligator arms, a couple of passes over the middle of the field because he doesn't want to get hit by oncoming linebackers or safeties. And he is booed by the veteran stadium crowd as they're watching a listless Eagles team try to acclimate themselves under new offensive coordinator John Gruden's West Coast offense. Randall Cunningham was still with the Eagles at this time, and he was not a fit for the West Coast offense. It was, And everybody knew that that's how it was going to work out. I think everybody knew Randall Cunningham was not the long-term solution there at quarterback simply because he couldn't run that offense. And it was painfully obvious in this first game that Randall was not going to be able to, to get the job done. But they had to give him a chance to do it. They, they, Ray Rhodes really didn't have a choice. Of course, Rodney Pete becomes the, the starting quarterback uh, during the course of this season. And this Eagles team actually has a, a pretty good season. But this game, this was an inauspicious start for the Ray Rhodes era, and especially Ricky Waters, their big free agent acquisition, uh, coming off a, a Super Bowl season with the 49ers. Things would get better. Fans would eventually forget the for who, for what stuff. And if you're not understanding what for who, for what means, after the game, when Ricky Waters short-armed those balls, he was asked about short-arming those, ball, ball, uh, short-arming those balls. And he essentially said, you know, what am I going to trip up for and get myself, uh, get myself hurt out there? For who, for what, you know? And it was... It, it's not good when, as a head coach, your first NFL game becomes a meme. And there were no memes back in, the ni- back in 1995, but um, it's certainly a game that Eagles fans don't forget. And it's a quote that Eagles fans have never forgotten. For who, for what? It has lived on in Philadelphia sports infamy. Uh, the number seven uh, performance, uh, opening week performance by a- an Eagles uh, rookie head coach. 1976, Dick Vermeil. The Cowboys beat the Eagles 27 to 7 and you know losing to the Cowboys is never good. Maybe this could be this could be at the top. It just it wasn't as headline making really. It was this was during a time when the Eagles couldn't beat the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys were about, they were in the midst of being the Tom Landry dynasty. Uh, the Cowboys were up 27 to nothing until a couple of guys named Tom Sullivan and Mike Borula connected on a 20-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. Uh, The Cowboys had 445 yards of offense compared to the Eagles' 280. The Birds committed five turnovers in the game. And this was a really good Cowboys team against an Eagles team that was clearly trying to find its way. And Dick Vermeil, it would take a few years. I mean, there's no—the Eagles were not expected to win this game. This was just a dreadful period in Eagles history. But with Dick Vermeil, you started to see things turn around in the following years. But not on this day. Eagles, uh, the Eagles went four and ten that season, while Dallas went eleven and three, and lost to the Rams in the first round of the playoffs. Again, the Eagles would get their revenge a few years later, but it did not come here in Week One, Dick Vermeil's first ever game against the Cowboys in 1976. Nine, number six, Andy Reid's first game with the Eagles in 1999. Eagles lose 25 to 24. I was at this game at Veterans Stadium, and as long as I live, I will never forget the name Brian Finneran. For those of you who don't know who Brian Finneran is, Brian Finneran was a Villanova wide receiver, was a was the, the Eagles' number three or number four wide receiver that team, uh, on a team with an offense led by Doug Peterson, the guy who would, um, who would later succeed him 17 years later as head coach. Um, this was a heartbreaker of a loss. The Eagles led 24-6, but Jake Plummer started to chip away at the lead throughout the second half, However, the Eagles still were in front 24-22 to with two minutes left, and they were driving. Uh, Doug Peterson drops back to pass on a third down and four near midfield, and he lofted a nicely thrown ball to Brian Finneran along the left sideline. 
The ball was in his breadbasket, but Finneran couldn't pull it in. He bobbled the ball, knocked the ball up into the air, and directly into the hands of Kwame Lasseter, Arizona cornerback who returned it deep into Eagles territory. For Finneran's catch should have iced the game for the Eagles. Instead, it led to a devastating Chris Jackie 31-yard field goal with four seconds left, giving Arizona the one-point win. It was a, a, a brutal loss because not only did they give up the lead in that game, the drop by a player who would never really have an impact on the Eagles other than this one moment cost them this this opening game. And listen, the Eagles were not going to be good that year. They went 5-11, and 11, but you could see that the team was getting better. And eventually, midway through the season, I think it was around week 10, Donovan McNabb became the starting quarterback, uh, replacing Doug Peterson. And the next era, a great era of Eagles football was underway. But in this day, at Veterans Stadium, in 1999, Brian Finneran and the Cardinals uh, ruined the day for Andy Reid and all of us in attendance at the Vet that day. Number five, 1986, Buddy Ryan's 41-14 loss to the Washington football team. Buddy Ball did not get off to a flying start here in 1986. And this is, again, at, the, at a time when, remember, in the mid to late 80s and early 90s, Washington was a powerhouse. This was one of the marquee franchises in football. Not like it is now, although they're the defending NFC East champs, but obviously Washington is not what they once were. They were a great team. So there's no harm in, I mean, no real harm in losing. The Eagles, again, were, most of these cases, when you've got a new head coach, these are all rebuilding teams, right? So you're not necessarily going to have success, especially against a team as good as this. Joe Gibbs' Washington football team here was amazing. Buddy Ryan, of course, was the defensive coordinator for Mike Ditka's uh, Chicago Bears uh, Super Bowl twenty winner. And so he came to Philadelphia with a lot of hype. Randall Cunningham was there, although he was not the starter yet. Ron Jaworski was still the starter, although Randall did get in this game game and, and threw the ball three times. But Washington forced three birds turnovers and outgained them 433 to 267 on the day. Um, I remember uh, Reggie White started at defensive tackle in this game. Uh, he used to move around the line a whole lot, but I don't remember him ever starting at defensive tackle much after this. Uh, and then uh, one of my favorite Eagles players of all time, just because I love the name, Junior Totalatasi started at running back that day. Uh, the Eagles went 5-10-1 in Ryan's first season, and that was just... Not a memorable game at all, Buddy Ryan. Although it wasn't a disaster because, well, again, Washington was a great was a great team. They went to the NFC Championship game uh, in 1986. So, um, again, Buddy Ball not off to a great start there. Uh, to me, that is number five uh, on this list of Eagles coaching debuts. Now we're starting to get into the good stuff here. The fourth best Eagles coaching debut, 2016, Doug Peterson. Leads the Eagles to a 29-10 win over the Cleveland Browns. Now, I know Peterson's tenure here in Philadelphia didn't end well, but he won a Super Bowl and he got off to a hot start with the 2016 Eagles. And remember, excitement was as high as it could be for Carson Wentz, who was the number two pick in the draft. He made his debut in this game and led the Eagles to an impressive win over a bad Cleveland team at Lincoln Financial Field, no doubt about it. The offense piled up 23 first downs and 403 yards of total offense compared to Cleveland's 288. Of course, the defense that day was playing the rotting corpse of Robert Griffin III, who put up a 55.0 passer rating in this one. Wentz, meanwhile, was great in this game. Went 22 for 37 for 278 and two touchdowns. Jordan Matthews caught seven balls for 114 yards and a score. The defense sacked Robert Griffin III three times and also forced an interception. Now they would go off to a three and record and then Wentz would stumble down the course of the, uh, down the stretch of the season and they would go seven and nine. The Eagles would, but um, 
Obviously, setting things up for a 2017 season that all, we all remember was pretty magical. But a really, really good debut for Doug Peterson in 2016. The third best Eagles coaching debut. Maybe it's a surprise I have it up this high. But I've got Marion Campbell's 1983 game against the 49ers when the Eagles beat them 22-17. to The Swamp Fox was Dick Vermeil's defensive coordinator and took over for, for Vermeil when Vermeil um, left the team uh, due to burnout. And... I know most of you listening to this weren't alive when uh, when uh, Marion Campbell took over. I was very, very young when, when he took over, so I don't really remember any of this. And Campbell's tenure in Philadelphia did not was not good. He was not a good head coach. He was a very good defensive coordinator, but the talent level was uh, dissipating, and uh, this was a franchise definitely on on the down on a downward slope here. But uh, the Eagles beat a great San Francisco team here in week one. Uh, the 49ers did outgain the Eagles 336 to 281, but the birds got three turnovers from Joe Montana's Niners and they held the future hall of famer to just 10 of 20 passing for 180 yards and an interception. That might be the best the Eagles ever did against Joe Montana. Uh, Joe Pisarczyk relieved and injured Ron Jaworski in this one, but both of those quarterbacks played pretty well. The reason I have this game game ranked so high is because this was a 49ers team that went 10-6 and six this season and made it all the way to the NFC Championship game before losing to Washington. The Eagles, meanwhile, went 5-11 and 11 and lost 9 of their last 10 games, so this was undoubtedly their best win of the season. They got off to a great start for Marion Campbell. This was an impressive Week 1 win against a great 49ers team, but they obviously couldn't sustain it. Kind of one of those fluke things, but... I tell you, when when you beat a team that good in your coaching debut, I'm going to have you high on this list. So I have Marion Campbell's 1983 debut at number three. Now I've got Nick Sirianni. I think Nick Sirianni's performance last weekend was the second best coaching debut in Eagles history. 32 to six, of course. We remember how how good everybody looked. Jalen Hurts looked like a star. Uh, Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell looked like a dynamic duo out of the out of the backfield. The tight ends chipped in. The young wideouts produced. The offensive line looked really good. Jonathan Gannon's defense rallied and shut Matt Ryan down. I mean, this was as enjoyable and pleasant an opening week as we've seen from an Eagles team in quite some time. And Nick Sirianni just looked like he was in complete and total control. Maybe, just maybe, the 2021 season won't be a gap year. I'm certainly feeling more optimistic, not just because they won, but how they won, how they controlled things, how they dominated. Uh, A bad Falcons team, but just the way that they did it, they reeked of competence. And they had a lot of young energy because you had young players who were on the field who were producing. And if they can get production from young players, it's going to make all the difference in the world. It's going to it's going to mean this team has a little bit more juice to it than maybe we've seen from uh, past Eagles teams. So I've got Nick Sirianni's debut at number two. And to me, the best coaching debut since Dick Vermeil in Eagles franchise history was Chip Kelly's debut in 2013 when the Eagles beat Washington 33 to 27. Listen, folks, don't forget how excited we were for the Chip Kelly era after this game. Um, the birds built a commanding 33 to seven lead. They, they scored 33 unanswered points in this one before Washington scored 20 in the fourth quarter to make it a bit closer. But we remember the chip Kelly fast paced, no huddle run heavy scheme, Mike Vick at quarterback, LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson, all those guys, the Eagles piled up 263 yards on the ground on Monday night football. So the debut was in Monday night football with LaShawn McCoy gashing Washington for 184 and a score. 
Um, again, the Eagles uh, an Eagles coach faced Robert Griffin III in his debut, and the Eagles defense held Griffin to a 77.7 rating. Um, it was a great springboard for a for Kelly's best season uh, when he took the team to the playoffs, and then of course he went about dismantling this really good team by getting rid of uh, by getting rid of Deshaun Jackson after the after the season, and things just kind of fell apart from there. But uh, we forget how excited we were after this game, Chip Kelly taking the NFL by storm, and of course it wouldn't last, but it was a very fun night. Uh, watching the Eagles take on Washington on Monday Night Football. So let's move ahead to this Sunday afternoon against the 49ers. You heard Rob's prediction just a minute ago, and I'll give you mine. I'm kind of in agreement with Rob. I I think the Eagles, what they did on Sunday afternoon against a bad Falcons team was extremely encouraging. And I I think this is, I think this Eagles team, after what I saw, is going to be better than I thought. I think they're going to have a better season than I thought they were going to have. I've been... As you know, probably one of the more pessimistic fans here uh, during the course of the summer. I know a lot of people have been feeling much better about this team. I'm still not prepared to call them a playoff team. I'm still not prepared to call them a 10-win team or an 11-win team. But I'm definitely more intrigued now. I am definitely, I am definitely feeling more positive about the direction and Nick Sirianni as, as a head coach. So... This prediction is not an indictment of the Eagles. Rather, I still think the 49ers, again, my Super Bowl pick, will probably come into Lincoln Financial Field and win this ballgame. I do agree it'll be close. I think it might be a little bit closer than Rob was saying. I think it's going to be something along the lines of like a a 33-30 to 30 game. Or maybe a, a 30 to, may, I think, you know, maybe 30 to 27 probably makes a little bit more sense. That's probably the prediction I'll go with because I think the Eagles are going to have trouble with George Kittle. I do think the defensive line will be able to rattle Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit, but I think they'll be able to make some plays. Uh, I was a little concerned about the run game, how the Eagles weren't able to stop Atlanta's run uh, a little bit early in that game, and then uh, the Eagles got up and, and the Falcons had to throw the ball. So uh, I, I just feel like Kyle Shanahan against Nick Sirianni right now, Shanahan has to have the upper hand in that one. A guy who I think is one of the best head coaches, if not the best head coach in the NFL, going up a guy making his second ever, uh, his coaching his second ever game. I, 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 if you look at it objectively, the 49ers are a better team, a more polished team than this Eagles team. I don't, I throw last year's record out the window because they had Bosa and Garoppolo out. That was not the 49ers team that they were supposed to have. This 49ers team does have a lot of talent. I think they're going to score some points against the Eagles. I think the Eagles are not going to be able to quite keep up. I think Jalen Hurts has another good game. Um, I'll be very curious to see uh, how he follows up last week's really star performance. He he was a he was a bona fide star in that game against the Falcons. And um, obviously, all eyes are on Jalen Hurts. I think I saw his uh, jersey sales up 500% uh, this week because of what happened last Sunday. That's a Pretty incredible. So uh, I do think the 49ers will win this game, but I think it'll be close. I think even if, if the Eagles keep this close, Eagles fans should still feel good about that because this is a really good 49ers team. So I'm going to say San Francisco 30, the Eagles 27, but I think it's a loss you can feel proud of, and it'll be a loss to build on as this team maybe starts to put together a season that is better than I thought it was going to be. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Rob Stats Guerrero once again for coming on the podcast. Don't forget to check out bleedinggreennation.com every single day as we take you through here the NFL season and check out all the great podcasts we have here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed by following us, subscribing to us, telling your friends about us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy.
A-I-P-G-N. Here's the truth about AI. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.